the Colorado Avalanche take game one of the Stanley Cup final in overtime. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Your home of the Canucks, your home of the Stanley Cup playoffs, of course, as well. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the Canucks at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Avenue Machinery. Dot ca so probably we'll, we'll get it lots of Canuck stuff coming up and we also have uh, former NHL scout and now Sportsnet contributor uh, Jason Bukla who's going to join us in the second half of the show he did a really interesting Canucks offseason preview uh, up at Sportsnet.ca right now so we'll chat to him about that a little later in the show some other Canucks tidbits to get in but we'll start with the Stanley Cup final and probably not as close a game as the overtime and the final score indicated but I will say for all the hype the series got, I did find it to be a very entertaining, very compelling hockey game to watch. Oh, it was immense. It was a ton of fun. And, yeah, the scoreline flattered Tampa Bay for me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the flow of play, that was a 5-2 game, except that Vasilevsky stood on his head and Kemper led in a softy to, to Sergeyev. And voila, took the Avs until overtime to win it. Burakovsky depositing the, the puck neatly into the lower right corner. Uh, beating Vasilevsky and, and sending the Avs fans home happy. Great environment. Great, like, honestly, pretty good jersey matchup. Like, I thought the colors looked good. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a ton of fun to watch. I guess Vasilevsky did let in a softie on the first one. Rantanen's goal was not a great Yeah, goal. I mean, I, I've seen people and goalie experts kind of kicking back and forth Vasilevsky's performance overall. I think the, the, the I thought he was the, good, aside he, from the first goal. He made some really good saves. Yeah, though I think the one to point to is the Landeskog one that squeaked through him. I've seen other people criticizing right. the second goal, the Nachushkin one, but then the, the goalie the people say The one's at five on three. No, no, no. The Landeskog one is the one that... Oh, sorry. I thought it was I mean? the Rantanen one. They had the Landeskog goal, the Landeskog goal, that was soft. The first goal yeah. that we're watching on, on the screen yeah, right yeah, now that in was our soft. studios. That yeah, was that's the one to point out. Yeah, um, The rest of them were fine. Yeah, in the, me, the other one's view. a deflection, the other one then a five-on-three, and yeah, then a, a yeah. cross-seam pass to Burakovsky from Nothing the Chushkin, right? For, so, for me, I'm not blaming uh, I'm not blaming Vasilevsky for anything but the first one, and, and so, so it goes. Here's what surprised me about the game last night. Because I expected the Avs to win game one. Always. Always expected it. I, I shouted out the... Uh, series two ways bets the the odds a couple shows ago I always thought the Avs would win game one and I'm not in any way shook no. in my Tampa Bay Lightning pick but what I was surprised by was the extent to which the Tampa Bay forecheck had nothing going on the Avs um, you know my my friend Cam Sharon who rejoined Twitter today by the way congratulations to him uh, tracked entries and exits after the second period so third period in overtime third period in overtime the Colorado Avalanche were successful 15 of 17 times trying to leave their zone with control of the puck. 15 of 17. Like, that's a huge, huge number. And goes to show you how quickly they were getting the puck out, how cleanly they were getting the puck out of their own end. Tampa Bay, in contrast, 6 of 13. Yeah. So the Colorado forecheck stymied and, and basically prevented the Tampa Bay Lightning from stringing more than a couple of passes together in the neutral zone at any point in the latter stages of the game. Whereas the Avs had carte blanche. And part of what occurred as a result was that the Kucherov line, in particular, got stuck in their own end far too often, and their shifts were wasted. And as a result, you had these, you know, eight minutes of McKinnon versus Kucherov head-to-head ice time, where there were like three shots on net, both ways, in eight minutes, with some of the best offensive talents in the league 
on the ice. If that's how it goes for Tampa Bay, if Tampa Bay is going to be reliant on the sort of rush chances that Kucherov manufactured with that ridiculous deke on Devontae's mm-hmm. and, the, and the feed to Palat, like if that's going to be what Tampa has to rely on, they're going to lose the series. They need to be able to get going vertically. And the one thing I'd say is Hedman can move the puck better than he did. Sergeyev can move the puck better than he did. Tampa Bay as a team is going to find ways to change that overall dynamic. But making this, imposing their preferred pace, their will, on the pace of this series, the way that they successfully did against Toronto and Florida earlier on in the playoffs, it's going to be a different test, without question, against this avalanche monster. And the thing that really impressed me about the Avs, now they were the better team start to finish, but once Tampa tied it up, 3-3 with two quick goals kind of towards the end of the second period, Colorado really flipped a switch, and they did not let their foot off the gas from that point on. All the way through overtime, they were just far dominant. Tampa really didn't generate much anything after that. That's when Vasilevsky had to really step up and play his best hockey of the night because it was all Colorado all the time. They found that extra gear that, as we said, kind of a cut above what even the very talented teams Tampa has already beat uh, were able to offer Tampa Bay earlier in this playoffs, right? They found that extra gear yep. that they might be the only team in the league that has that ultimate gear that we saw uh, from them last well, night. And that's I, what really stood out. And I like that that stood out to you because, you know, this is not a, a playoffs where Dallas squeaked into the final. This is not no. a playoffs where Montreal squeaked into a final. These are two elite teams. And all of a sudden, you know, the idea of the Canucks being on this stage with a tweak or two is ludicrous. Like, you, you if you say that... In polite company, I hope they don't make fun of you. You know, because if you say it around me, I'm going to. <laughs> I mean, there's no way you can watch the quality of hockey being played last night and think the Canucks roster, as currently composed, would have any business against these teams. It would be a laugher. Over and two. And so, you know, I like that. I like that teams are getting a chance to see a really aspirational playoff, like Stanley Cup final matchup. Because... You're not getting in on hope. You're not getting to this level on hope. Years of disciplined strategy. You know, uh, Nichushkin, for example, yes. was a dominant force yesterday. And so there's a lot of chatter about Nichushkin. And I, I heard Jason Bruff make the point that the Colorado Avalanche signed Nichushkin for league minimum the year that the Canucks re-signed Jake Vertanen to the second contract. And... For me, the most impressive thing about the Nachushkin signing from a Colorado perspective isn't that they did that and other teams did worse things. It's that they tried the same thing the year before and it failed. So the Colorado Avalanche signed Nail Yakupov to a one-year league minimum contract to try and rebuild his value. They had this idea that, you know, perhaps super high pedigree Russian-born players who were in the process of washing out of the league were perhaps undervalued around the industry, and they tried it with Nail Yakupov, and it did not work. And it, in a lot of situations, you know, and, and think about it. It's like it's like if you're betting with your buddies and one of your buddies is icy, like, oh, well, you think that. Oh, you, you know, you of course you'd think that. Remember that thing you got wrong, right? It's not different in a hockey ops decision-making environment, right? Someone was like, hey, we think there's value here on Nail Yakupov, and they were wrong. And the next summer comes around, and the Avs try the exact same trick, undeterred by the failure that they just endured, right? They, they, they tried the exact same trick, and this time they found, you know, uh, the poor man's Mark Stone out of it. And 
good for them. Like, stubbornness, discipline, right? It's not an accident that these are the two teams here. It's not an anything-can-happen thing that these are the two teams here. These are phenomenally constructed teams. They've won bet after bet. They've drafted well. They leaned into being bad when they were, right? They've taken advantage of of sort of the, the cycle that exists in the NHL. And they've taken advantage of some of the natural advantages that they have. Like Florida has the tax rate. Colorado, I mean, Denver, everyone wants to live in Denver. If you have a family, you want to live in Denver. Like, it just is what it is. And they've constructed these absolute juggernaut teams. We saw a slugfest in game one. We're going to see a slugfest in game two. I think we're going to see the Tampa Bay Lightning find a way to hang on by their fingernails and, and control more of the series. I think we're going to see Tampa, uh, sorry, the Colorado Avalanche ultimately prevail. Still, I still believe that. But man, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch, and these two teams are full value. Can't take your eyes away from this series. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Get your thoughts in about Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. A couple things I wanted to point out. One, just on your, um, you know, prediction that Tampa will find a way to hang on and control more play throughout these playoffs Tampa like the the comparison that kind of came to mind for me today is like they're basically um a, a machine learning algorithm where the more data you feed them the more accurate and the better they become that's right, right? John so, Cooper is AI yeah yeah so okay they've got their first taste of playing against Colorado in this series in this environment that's the baseline and, and who knows weird things happen you know guys can have bad games all of that but if there's any team in the league that you have confidence can take what they saw from Colorado and the ways that Colorado really dictated the pace of the game last night, learn from it, incorporate that information, and figure out a way to get better, figure out a way to address it, which is not easy to do on the fly in the hot house of the Stanley Cup final, no less. But if there's any team that can do it that you think would be able to do it, it's Tampa Bay and it's John Cooper. So I think that bodes well for a competitive series. It's like that Ultron from the Avengers movie, yes. Age of Ultron. Uh, it's like that Ultron software where it's like analyzing opponents' fighting style, right? And then like turning it against them. That game looked eerily familiar, except that the score was closer to the 5 nothing loss they had in game one against Toronto and the yep. 6-2 loss they had against New York. Faster teams that out of the gate were able to jump Tampa Bay, and it took Tampa Bay a little bit of time to adjust to it. That's what we're, we saw yesterday. I know, I know. I'm not saying I know that Tampa Bay is going to come back and win games. But I know that Tampa Bay is going to find ways to pester avalanche puck carriers further up ice. And I know that they're going to find ways to break the puck out more cleanly than they did in game one going forward. And that's going to change the way the series looks and feels. Which, you know, hopefully it still looks the way it did to some extent because that was tremendous. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And you know what? No dubious calls. No close offsides. No... None of that stuff that could have taken the shine off of an event for the NHL, right? I think this series has a real chance to be an inflection point moment for the league in the United States. We're off to a really good start. If you if you just saw the highlights of that game on SportsCenter last night in the, in the United States, in middle America, I think there's a much better chance you're tuning into game two. And if we get another one like that, I think the audience is yeah. just going to build as it goes. This is a showcase and both teams lived up to that in the first game of the series. Uh, shout out to the crowd in Colorado as well. Oh, That's what we're on that point. That's one of the things that always jumps out to me about playoff hockey is the intensity of the crowd and the atmosphere. And they they brought it as they... Uh, we need you know. more singing in hockey crowds <laughs> in general. We need more singing. All the small things is super cool. 
in in St. Louis, they do uh, they do um, when they're leading late. And and this extends beyond just a stoppage. But when they're leading late, the fans sing uh, "Country Road." Yeah. To to the they sing off their opponents with "Country Road," and it's like it's Missouri. It's not West Virginia, but whatever. It's still cool. Um, I would love like we need something like that. You know, I don't know what it is, and it needs to not be "Sweet Caroline." By the way, I just want to make sure that I clarify: not "Sweet Caroline," but we need something like that in Vancouver. You know, the Larshiders have the Bruce. There it is, right? Yep. That was really cool. Like that was a cool. That- that not stands out the... because it's so rare in the North American sporting culture of just that organic, fan-driven totally. thing that catches fire. Now we need a song. Now we need like a straight-up song of some kind. I don't know. Make, make your suggestions. Ideally, something Vancouver-based. But we, we legit need a song in this market that fans sing to to sing off the opponents that are losing like in the third period. It would be so cool. The I'm... other thing I want to mention, we, uh, we again, we got some Canucks stuff to get to, so we'll move on from the Stanley Cup final here in a second. But I did want to mention... Uh, speaking of Vancouver connections, BC connections, Bowen Byram led the Colorado Avalanche in five-on-five five ice time by one second over Devontae's, but still, he led them in five-on-five so five ice sorry, time. Sorry, local product, Bowen Byram narrowly edges local product, yes, Devontae's, for yes. the ice time lead yeah. in the Stanley Cup final by the team that's up one nothing. Cool. And Taves and McCarr, they're the, the headliner, obviously, on the blue line. They're the best pairing in the NHL, bar none. If Byram is going to handle that type of minutes load, right? Over 20 minutes, five on five and play as well as he did. That to me really changes the complexion of how the blue line looks for Colorado, because all of a sudden then you're not worried about two pairings. You have three guys that you have so much confidence in to put out there. Have you ever heard the Taves, uh, Shea Theodore story? Have I ever told this? I don't know. The, the Devon Taves and Shea Theodore played together for a, uh, like, uh, I can't remember the level, but like a junior A travel select team out in the Fraser Valley when they were, you know, 14. And so this is two future top pair NHL defensemen uh, playing together on a team. You'd expect it to be un- unbelievable. To be really good. Yeah, I think they won eight of 40 games. Like, they were like the worst team in the league. with <laughs> Two future NHL top pair stud defensemen on the roster. I-, I still need to track them down and ask what happened. Like, it's one of the great mysteries in local, ho- like, in local yes. hockey, the- of the last generation of local hockey products one of the great mysteries to me is how did a team with two future nhl first pair defense defenders have so little success i i, I need to know like, you got i'm still confused by it you got to track down the other guys on the team who are just like you know regular joes now yeah, be like man 100%. you must have been really bad <laughs> so, you must have been really yeah, weighing down the team yeah. I, I, I wonder who they'd all blame <laughs> i i legit i legitimately i legitimately need to do this one day because it's like it's been a thing I've I've been looking at on on eliteprospects.com for like 10 years and just getting frustrated about. It. <laughs> I just don't understand the mystery of yeah. the the world's worst, yeah, 14-year-old team <laughs> despite having Devon Taves. It doesn't make sense. Shea Theodore, that's amazing. Um again, 650-650, lots of great uh nominations for sing-along songs that we'll get to at some point Oh here. no, no, get the, get to them now. All I right. need to keep hear them, them coming. So the, this one came in immediately, Mr. Brightside. By the killers. No one does it. It's not very Vancouver. It's more of a. It feels like more of a Vegas. Well, thing yeah, they're they're a Vegas band, yeah. but still, I mean, it's a it's a phenomenally we popular song. We all love song. to do it. Yeah. We all love to a do very, it at very weddings. Popular song. Yeah. Uh, speaking of closer to home, Doran from Cumberland suggests uh, "Take Me Home" by Spirit of the West, which I think is a little. I'm cool with me, that. I, I like it. I think it's a little overdone, but I get it. It has the local connection. I'm good I, with that. I understand. I that. think that's a really strong suggestion. Um, Filing that away under strong. Yeah. Another one, uh, this one from Mike the Driver, who suggests 
uh, Burn It to the Ground by Nickelback. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a no. Oh no, to I that. like that. I like that. I'm gonna give a no to that. Yeah, big I fan. like this one. Turn Me Loose by Loverboy. Turn Me Loose by Loverboy. That's Boy. from Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, don't hate that. I I'm, like that one. I'm pretty don't... sure that Nickelback song was the theme song for Monday Night Raw for a little while there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, also, also, I think after the Anaheim a- Angels or the yeah the Anaheim Angels experiment last week, you, you, obviously we yes, all know the about Nickelback. this. Yeah, the the 14 game losing streak. The coaches insisted that everyone walk up to a Nickelback song, and uh, they still lost. In fact, they were shut out. They didn't score a single run in that game. I think after that, you have to retire. By the way, Nickelback. Speaking of, this is a complete tangent. But did you see the anecdote about Joe Madden and his haircut? No. So he was fired by the end. They were in the middle of the 12, 13 game losing yep. streak or whatever when he was fired. To to his decision to try to jolt the team and give them, you know, some positive vibes and all that to get them out of the uh, the losing streak, he he got his haircut into a mohawk. But between when he got the haircut and the next time he saw the team, he was fired. So he didn't get a chance to reveal the big new like, hey, guys, wow. we're all in this together. I got a silly haircut. Let's get out of it. So he just got a mohawk as a you know middle aged gentleman, and, and now for every, no reason and now, whatsoever. And now everyone thinks he's and in a midlife crisis. And then he got brutal. fired. So shout out to Joe Madden. That's though. brutal. That's a tough one. Uh, anyways, keep your uh, sing along song suggestions coming in. Uh, we'll, we'll, I, I, here, we'll, I got one. I got one quickly. Boys are back in town. Japan droids, local band, yes, and it yes. has that like oh 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 thing that's like easy to sing when you've had a few. Yep. So that's my suggestion right there. I like that one. Um, yeah, keep them coming. 650, 650. We'll I just read don't some know more if it's Do you show. mean the house that heaven built? Is that what I said? What did I say? You said the boys are back in town. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that's a very, that's Thin Lizzy. That's, that's a very, very different, different song. Yes. They have another one like called something like that, right? Off the same album? Uh, There's a reason for my confusion. But yeah, house that heaven built. Thank you. That's what I want. That's my suggestion. Or just go back to U2. Just go back to U2. It feels real to us, right? Go back to Streets Have No Name and just sing 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 losing teams off of Vancouver Ice with that. Those are my interesting. suggestions. Very interesting. We'll read more throughout the course of the show. Did want to mention, before we get to uh, Jason Buchla in the second segment, uh, news broken by Rick Dollywall yesterday that Andre Kuzmenko will be in Vancouver today for Who his else? second Uncle interview. Rick. There you go. Doing work. With, uh, with the Vancouver Canucks as he... I believe this is his final of the second round of interviews. That's what we're led to believe anyways, that he's doing with various interested NHL teams. And the Kuzmenko thing is really fascinating. And I want to get into it with Jason Buchla when we chat to him, chat to him in about 15 minutes as well. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but as we've discussed, right, teams are not bidding for Kuzmenko by offering to pay him a bunch of money because you can't. It's an ELC. What? You can't, but you can go into Schedule A sure. bonuses, at which point you do get into, uh, you know, millions of dollars. But I don't think that's something that anyone really is considering. Uh, Schedule Bs are basically reserved for top, like, number one overall picks. Uh, that Those are really the only guys. But So there are ways to structure the deal to, ma- to, to provide some monetary incentive. But I, I don't expect that that's going to be decisive. Teams are selling opportunity. Yes. Yeah. So that's the fascinating part of it to me, because let's say, well, first of all, they're late in the process, so they're obviously a contender. So there's something in the pitch process, whether or not he ultimately decides to come here, there's something that has piqued the interest of Andre Kuzmenko and his representation enough to go far down the road in the process with the Vancouver Well, and, and one of the, so one of the factors is that Patrick Alvin has a relationship there dating back nine years, right? So there's yeah. a decade of familiarity between Patrick Alvin and Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, would be a huge win as a result for new Canucks management if they were able to pull this 
particular iron out of the fire. Additionally, I can tell you part of the Canucks pitch centered on role, obviously. Mm-hmm. They definitely see him as a as a guy with power play utility, which I, I always, well, the moment I learned that, I thought that was a really loaded commentary in terms of what else could happen this offseason. And lastly, and this is also loaded commentary in terms of what else could happen this offseason. Lastly, it's not just about what you can do this year. It's about having the cap space to commit to him long term mm-hmm. in the event that he comes in and crushes it. And that's been a big part of what Vancouver has sold as well throughout that this process. Yeah, we're down to brass tacks here. There's not a ton of bidders left at the table. Um, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of cautious optimism around Vancouver's pursuit of this. That's not to say that they're going to ultimately pull it out of the fire. I think I think early in the process, me and Rick described them as prohibitive favorites. I think the fact that they've gotten to this stage sort of goes to, uh, sort of speaks to that. Ultimately, we'll see which way Kuzmenko lead, leans and, and, and where what he decides. But yeah, I mean, they've put their best foot forward. That's what this pitch has been centered on. And now, and now we're at the finish line, and we'll see exactly how this plays out. And that's what's fascinating to me, to me about it. And I can't decide if I'm reading too much into it, or if, as you said, the fact that they are able to credibly promise him certain things in terms of role, in terms of opportunity, in terms of the ability to commit future salary cap space to him potentially, I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, or if that really does signal potential fireworks and potential movement at the top of the Canucks roster. Because you just look at it now... It's like, well, the power play is pretty well established. Power play is really well established. And if it's you're pretty, returning all and of the same guys. Good. And it's really good. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to say. You're, you're going to bump any of those five guys out for a guy who's making his NHL debut debut if they are all returning to your roster. And so, again, maybe maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. You know, I'm I'm just getting ahead of myself, getting excited as a sports radio host about the potential for big, big interesting changes. But Man, I don't know. If if they win that bidding process, to me, it really does suggest it's the first of some very interesting dominoes to fall. Well, I, I just sort of look at the track record with the Hammond Dermot thing, the the left thing, light, left hand, right hand analogy that I've used throughout, which is, you know, you you send out a more expensive piece who's older, you bring in a younger piece who's more affordable and has upside, right? And you do both of those moves in concert, right? So uh, Mott goes out for the pick, free acquisition cost. Brad Richardson comes in to replace him. Uh, Hamonic goes out, Dermot comes in to replace him. You know, not that it's a philosophy, but it's a trend. Something we've seen the Canucks management group do now twice in their first six months. And it's been a pretty quiet six months. So we are analyzing a very small sample of decisions in terms of being like, this is what they've done in the past and this is what it means. But what Kuzmenko certainly does feel like to me is a proactive left-hand move. You've replaced a more expensive, perhaps older top six forward already. And now you can go about shedding some salary in that spot. I mean, that's, that is one thing it feels like. Although on the other hand, if you wanted to keep this group together and take another run, a 900 K against the cap entry level guy who you project being on your power plane in your top nine is also super useful. So nice complimentary piece. You don't, you don't want to read too much into it, but that is one thing it certainly does imply to me. This, this, I, I would sort of see this as a domino that does again, my opinion that does suggest that fireworks are, if not being lit, Quite yet, certainly being unpackaged and uh, and assembled safely in the in the backyard yes, with proper supervision. Yeah. Uh, that schoolhouse is going to get it. <laughs> Justin Morissette producing the show today. Uh, I just feel like the big question tonight is: 
after the Oilers took him to Joey's in Edmonton yesterday. Are they doing Earl's or Cactus Club this evening? It's got to be the Yaletown keg, no, right? <laughs> That's the the big place. Guys, if you can't do better than that, (laughs) what are we doing here? Plus, plus, of course, of course, you know, one thing, one thing that by all accounts, Canucks ownership, I've been critical of Canucks ownership in the past, but one thing by all accounts that Canucks ownership is very adept at is winding and dining their their free agent targets, right? Like, yeah, they they have the restaurants to do it. Oh, well, and like, and like, you know, I've talked to guys like Myers and Shane Doan had the famous meet with them at uh, Italian Kitchen, right? The famous meet. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they roll out the red carpet when they uh, when they're chasing guys. So I'd assume it's better than all of the options you've listed. <laughs> I'd assume uh, we will Safely, be back. Safe assumption to talk to uh, former NHL scout and sports contributor Jason Bukla about the Canucks offseason momentarily. Don't forget to subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and leave us a five-star rating and review if you do enjoy the show. Back with more on the other side. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Canucks Hour, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here with you on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. Jason Bukla is going to join us in a few minutes here. I I, want to give a a little overview of his kind of off-season plan for the Canucks. That's up at sportsnet.ca. Before I do, I did have to get this song suggestion in uh, from a listener, unsigned listener. Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Yeah, I like that. That's, That's a strong smart. one for that me. Is a, that is a strong one. People know the lyrics, local connection. I don't think anyone else is doing it anywhere. I think yeah. that's a really, really strong suggestion. Yeah, it would be, it would be fun. Yeah, it'd so be that, nice. that's the leader in the clubhouse for me uh, right now. And, and before you get into Books's, yeah, uh, or Jason Bukula's overall um, look into how the Canucks could handle a very complicated, a crucial offseason, dare I say, for the club. Uh, Jason Buchla and I, of course, were colleagues with the Florida Panthers. He was the director of amateur scouting when I when I worked there as the VP of comms. And Books was always really good with access in and around the scouting process and the draft. So we developed a, something of a relationship um, in terms of in terms of uh, miking up guys before draft interviews, uh, giving us access directly to the scouting process. Uh, he was great on that score, and and career highlights uh, in that process include miking up Elias Pettersson. For his draft day interview in Chicago, um, he wasn't available <laughs> by the time. By the time, <laughs> where, where, where are you a, picking that, that uh, year? Ten. Mm. Did, o- Owen Tippett was the pick. Uh, Pedersen didn't last that long, but yeah, obviously pretty good. Yeah, it worked out. Good player worked yeah. out. So as I said, you can go check it out right now. Jason Bukala, former NHL scout, as you heard, director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers, now contributing at Sportsnet.ca. And the interesting thing about how he kind of lays out his roadmap for the Canucks offseason. Some really interesting additions to the roster that I think would make a lot of Canucks fans very happy, but much fewer subtractions from the roster than I think a lot of people are expecting. So basically, or you certainly know... certainly than we are expecting. Yes, than, you know, returning the kind of big four of Miller, Horvat, Besser, Garland as kind of high-end forwards that could potentially be moved this year. They're all back. You know, Tanner Pearson back. Um, you go to, uh, on the defense, pretty much all of the regulars, uh, Hughes, Myers, Ekman, Larson, Pullman, Dermot, Shen back in, in very similar roles to what they played last year. The additions, as I said, pretty interesting. So he has the Canucks signing 
Mason Marchment, of course, breakout performer in Florida, uh, to a three-year deal with a 2.75 AAV, which I think is an under bid, I would say, versus what Marchment is going to get uh, on the UFA market. Potentially. P- potentially. Evan Rodriguez uh, to slide into the third-line center slot, also three years, $3.5 million. And then he has the Canucks winning the Andre Kuzmenko sweepstakes and also adding a player that we talked about earlier in the week, Curtis Lazar, to fill in in the bottom six. A lot of additional well. forward depth. That's basically five new forwards yeah. to bolster the the bottom six, and it's afforded because of one major subtraction. Yes, right? the Jason Dickinson buyout would right. be the, the major subtraction that, that Buchla kind of forecasts. And well, let's look, hear him out. When you look how it, uh, how it shapes up, especially at forward, it's a really interesting forward group. I mean, Marchment, Rodriguez, Lazar, Kuzmenko – and no subtractions, no significant yeah, subtractions. You like that a you're, lot. You're definitely adding three middle six forwards to a group that's top heavy. A pretty decent group. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do think you'd win games, certainly, with the lineup that he's constructed. And uh, joining us now, it is, as I said, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers and now Sportsnet.ca contributor Jason Bukla. Jason, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Of course, guys, no problem. I'm fantastic. How are things out on the left coast? We are doing very, very well. Weather hasn't really turned to summer yet for us, but, you know, that's that's to be expected out here in Vancouver. Now, before Drancer really, you know, gets into the nitty-gritty and picks apart your article at Sportsnet.ca, <laughs> which I know, he, I know he's champing at the bit to do, but just kind I can't of... can't wait. can't wait. <laughs> from your vantage point of, uh, you know, a, a very experienced hockey scout... You know, we we slice and dice and get into the nitty gritty all the time of this roster. We spend so much time analyzing it. But from your perspective, just what kind of position do you see the Canucks in as a team going into this summer? I actually think it's the position of the group overall. Um, it's a little disjointed. I think it's fair to say. You know, I, I've taken a long time looking at the roster from top to bottom. I don't mind the forward group, and I think that there's a core there to build around still. I think that they need more grit and pushback up front. Some of the younger guys coming up front on their roster right now, um, they're going to provide that in time, but you know, they're still young, right? Entry level guys. So um, the back end is a concern. I think that we all, we all recognize that, but um, the way that it's positioned with salaries and buyouts and dead cap and all these equations it is what it is on the back end. The front end, though, I, I actually don't mind it. And let's be honest, they have a world-class goalie. I think one of the top developing goaltenders in the entire league, and that's going to give them a chance on most nights. Jason, for all that you commented on the forwards being the group you liked best, right? That's where you've allocated what, what cap space that the Canucks have uh, to upgrade, right? Uh, clearly, they do need... You know the the types of middle six guys or or bottom end guys in Curtis Lazar's case that that you've sort of listed or included as targets. But in terms of where they spend their money, why did you decide to upgrade the forward group in your exercise as opposed to the defense? Well, uh, you know, it's a difficult proposition to build a team, and when you come into this type of scenario with how the cap dollars have been allocated on the back end. I tried to be as realistic as possible. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. the Myers of the world, the Poolmans of the world, these types of guys, it takes two to tango when you're talking about selling these types of assets. In Myers' situation, um, next year, the majority of his contract is in the form of a signing bonus, which makes him a little bit more attractive for a team that's only willing to spend so much cash money. 
Uh, he has a $5 million signing bonus due in, in 2023, $1 million cash, $6 million cap hit. You can figure out the teams that would probably be able to take that on. Um, and, of course, he's got to <laughs> say yes to those deals. Yeah. Um, the Pullman deal, it's not a great deal. But, again, who's the buyer? Um, and then up front, Dickinson was nothing short of a disaster this year. It was a tough year. Um, I don't know why that contract was given out to begin with. Historically, he's not a player that's produced at a high level. And even going back to his junior days in Guelph, like he wasn't a, a, an exceptional major junior scorer. So where are you going to buy a guy out? I mean, you have to start somewhere. I felt like I had to start with structuring a roster somewhere instead of plugging holes, you know, here, there, and everywhere. You know, let's start with building this. Uh, the forward group, let's feel secure in what we have going forward there. Let time run its course a little bit on the back end. It is what it is. It's unfortunate. And and then hopefully we're in a better position one year from now with some dead cap coming off with some of those contracts a year older, if you will. It might open up a little bit more flexibility on the other end because right now, honestly, I just don't see – I don't see enough buyers across the landscape for some of these players on the back end. So I went top heavy to try and uh, try and make some adjustments. That mimics a lot of what I, what I've said over the past few months about Myers being a hold for me because of the way that the deal is structured. Uh, Coming back to Jason Dickinson, who you've bought out curious to ask you, particularly because you're a, you're a London guy, you're a South Ontario guy. I'd imagine you were familiar with the player prior to him breaking into the NHL. And and obviously you've been, um, you know, familiar with him based on his work in the NHL. And typically, yeah, he hasn't been a high-end scorer, but he's usually been able to log regular minutes, even top nine minutes occasionally, and play pretty well defensively. I mean, we're only three years removed from him being the centerman on a line that drew the hard match with Braden Point in game one of the Stanley Cup final, and they won that game. What what, what happened? Is there any chance he can bounce back in your view? I don't, I, you know, I... I... I, it's not that I don't like the player. I like the player at a certain number. And the number that he's at, right. with the way that this roster is structured, it doesn't fit for me. And I think that if you look at uh, you know, what you want to do in the three-hole, like I've got Evan Rodriguez coming in. Evan Rodriguez is going to be able to do some things better than Dickinson. And you know he's, he's going to push the play more. He's got more offense to his game. He's a right shot. Um, you know, there's some, to me, there's some benefits there. I've seen Dickinson forever. And again, it's not that I don't like the player, but in this type of scenario, I don't see him being uh, a guy that is going to score you 50 points in a season. And I'm not necessarily sold. Listen, the pandemic and the bubble games, they, they could have been a little bit misleading at times. I think with that, in reflection, I think we're all going to look back on that and say, geez, you know, that team maybe wasn't as good as they were, what they looked like they were in the bubble. And yeah, he had hard matchups in the Dallas uh, Tampa series. I get it. But for me, this isn't the fit going forward. I just, it's something that the Canucks have to get off of. In conversation with uh, former NHL scout, Jason Bukala here on the Canucks hour, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, Sportsnet, 650. You mentioned uh, Evan Rodriguez a little bit there, Jason, and two of the really interesting names that you have uh, adding to the Canucks in your kind of offseason roadmap are Evan Rodriguez in that third line center role and also Mason Marchment, both guys that had really, um, I don't want to say surprising necessarily, but breakout offensive seasons for their teams this year. What is it about those players that you think makes them a good fit for the Canucks? 
Well, let's start with Rodriguez. A couple of different things, uh, speed, um, skill, above average skill. I think that uh, his trajectory, it might plane out a little bit now. I don't know that he's always, I don't know what his next level is. It's to be determined. Um, your management crew there in Vancouver are familiar with the player. I think that uh, right away when you, when you sign a guy that you're familiar with and there's that trust between the two, um, the player is potentially going to give you a little bit more right out of the gate because he knows that you put that trust in him, not once, but twice. As far as Marchment goes, um, he's been a revelation in Florida. Uh, Toronto uh, made a deal years ago with us in Florida uh, where we, we gave up a player, a Dranswell member, Dennis Malgan, who was a smaller skill guy, and we needed to add some grit to our, our group in Florida. Um, I find that Vancouver's in the exact same situation. I, you know, they need, some, they need a level of protection in their lineup um, that also can produce some, some offense. Um, even if he doesn't produce at the same level that he's produced last year, He's going to open up ice. Everybody's going to play a little uh, safer with this person uh, or with Marchman on the ice. He's a big, strong, heavy character, gets involved. And uh, the Canucks don't have enough of that, in my opinion, up front. I think that would be a big value add for them. Jason, how do you evaluate some of the scoring spikes that we saw out of that Panthers team last year? Because, you know, they're... Go down the list, uh, Sam Reinhardt hitting 80 points, which which he'd never really done. Sam Bennett, 50-plus. Marchment, 45-plus. You know, Maxim Mammon scored seven goals, Jason, and some of them were beautiful. <laughs> and we all know, you know, I, I don't know that anyone's sort of signing Maxim Mammon this offseason hoping for offense, right? I mean, you're hoping for the size and the speed. So Yeah, I agree with that. How I do you agree with that. He's a fourth-line, he's, he's fourth man is a fourth-line, uh, big, heavy body with speed. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so how, how do, do you evaluate? Yeah, how do you evaluate I, that? I account, I account for the, uh, so the way that I'm describing the three-hole for the Canucks, the way that I projected it, there's an opportunity for those guys in the three-hole to produce at the same level, maybe a little bit more, maybe, Um because of the fact that your matchups are even better when you have that type of depth. And I think that when in Florida, when you look at the, the amount of scoring that team did, I mean, teams run out of bodies to match mm. up against quality people. And the more quality you have, it's not a first line to fourth line league anymore. The, the really good teams, like look at Tampa Bay right now. Yeah, their fourth line plays what you maybe classify as sheltered minutes. But look at the production of Corey Perry. Look at the production of these guys. Like, that's not what we would classify as a true fourth line. So where I'm going with the whole thing is the more you have up front, the less opportunity it gives your opponent to, uh, to match up. And then you get better matchups and your quality players have more ice. And, and if they're good enough and they're working and playing to their identity, they're going to produce more. Jason, you also have the Canucks signing two right-handed centermen, right? Evan Rodriguez and Lazar, both righties. This team... Mm-hmm famously does not have that at the moment at all. Didn't have it at all last season. Um, old school, old school hockey viewpoint. How crucial is it for them to add at least one guy who can win some draws as a righty for this team next season? Listen, it's hard to win on your weak side in the NHL. I, you know, there are some guys that can do it and do it well. Like Miller does it um, pretty well. Yeah. He's got kind of a, a weird approach to uh, getting <laughs> the in the baseball dot. swing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, and he's driving, but you know, the linesmen are giving him the benefit of the doubt and he's driving a bonus crazy. I get it. But um, listen, you have to have a right shot in there somewhere that can take some strong side face offs. Cause you got to start with the puck. And I just thought that the, the adding the two right shots, um, 
it wasn't necessarily on purpose. I definitely wanted to add one. Uh, adding two was a bonus. Uh, Lazar has transformed his game. I think that he can bring a lot more than uh, what he was projected to. Like when he came into the league, he, you know, people thought he'd be a, you know, I call him a two and a half, like a, a top six guy, but really he's like a two or a three. Right. Um, and, and produce some offense. I'm not so sure about the offense anymore. I'd say that's a maybe, but when you, when you some face-offs, key matchups, penalty kill, and uh, listen on to the right of your goaltender in the defensive zone with a minute left in the game and you're a man short, you need somebody to win a draw on the strong side. I think it's an important thing to have. And Jason, as I mentioned just before we got you on the line, you know, the names you have added to the Canucks, like Rodriguez, Marchment, Kuzmenko, are really interesting in their own right. But, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of our listeners, one of the really interesting things about your piece is just how many of the the big-name Canucks players you have returning to the team for next season. Because when we have talked so much about, will Miller be traded? Will Besser be traded? You know, will they try to move Myers? And from your perspective, bringing that, number of of the big key guys back is that more just about it's really difficult to move those types of players and get fair value back or is it maybe a sign that you know maybe there's uh there's more that this group can do than they've necessarily shown on the ice yet this wasn't a bad team after uh, after their horrible start i mean they had a terrible start they made some changes and the team you know played better uh, we all know that after some changes up front you've got Horvat at 27, Miller at 29. I can tell you from experience, centermen in the league, love them, hate them. Like you can pick some of these guys apart uh, character-wise a little bit. Maybe like Miller's, maybe Miller's not for everybody. I get it. But what he's doing on the ice, I expect him to actually come back to earth a little bit next year, but it still provides exceptional value. Um, those guys are hard to find. And when you trade a guy like that, trust me, you're going to be chasing that type of a player for the next two or three years. And we're going to be right back to having these same conversations next year because like top two centermen in the league, you need to keep them when you have them. And yeah, Patterson might be able to do it in time. I don't know that though. And, you know, I, I just think that the way that I've, I've built the group makes the most sense. Now here's one other caveat I would say, I think that Hughes um, is potentially their best player going forward. So if I use him as a, as a benchmark, generally speaking, um, teams won't, negotiate with their best with other players on the roster too far above what they perceive to be their best players contract value so i think that if this group as well wants to stay together and they see some potential to win together i think that you're going to see some dollars um, that are fair market dollars you're not going to see anything like what potentially johnny gaudreau is going to get in in calgary which could end up being 10 million dollars because that's not going to happen in vancouver with that type of core up front Jason, we'd be remiss if we let you go without asking you about the amateur side of this. The Canucks own the 15th pick in this upcoming draft, and of course, you've been part of two pretty successful amateur scouting groups in in both Nashville and then the one you ran in Florida. What's your view of this draft class overall? What are some names or some overall approaches that you'd be considering strongly with the 15th overall pick? Well, first of all, it's best player for sure. It's not it's not need based. So um, I know we're going to look at the defense, and and you know we're going to say, well, they need defense. Well, it's going to be best player for sure. Uh, having said that, uh, there are some players, uh, uh, Devin Matejchuk uh, from the Western League there in Moose Jaw. I think it's a fantastic target. He's not tall. He's sturdy. He's exceptionally smart. Like this guy's his awareness and his hockey IQ is is very reliable. 
he's the type of guy that would compliment a player like uh, thinking back to my Florida days, like Ekblad. He would be a great partner mm. for Ekblad. Um, Frank Lazar out of the uh, U.S. national team program uh, plays the middle, tons of spunk, plays fast. I don't think he's got exceptional puck skill. I, some scouts uh, disagree with that. I think a lot of his offense comes from his hard work and his compete. So I don't care how you get the offense, just get it. And the fact that he competes as hard as he does is, is a bonus. Um, here's my caveat to a couple other names I'll just throw out there. Like the, I think Korchinski, the defenseman of Seattle, is going to likely be gone. But if he's still on the board, you know, again, a guy, big body, run your power play, not necessarily the most physical but uh, he's an area defender and long reach. So he's hard to get around. I'll put it to that way. Um, the Russian factor is going to be big. And I don't yeah. know what the appetite is in Vancouver, but uh, you know, the, Danila Yurov from Russia is a great player. Um, uh, I don't want to get into a debate over the Russians uh, right now, but there are some very high end quality, but here's the thing, guys. I think that the Canucks are in an ideal position to entertain trade uh, calls on a trade back scenario. They don't have a second round pick. They're drafting in the muddy middle of the first round, but I don't see a lot of difference between players call it at 15 and 40 in this draft. If there's not an exceptional amount of difference. So if you've trade back to call it just off the top of my head, 25, and you maybe pick up 56. Now all of a sudden you're, you're rolling the dice with better odds. You're getting an extra pick in the second round that they don't already have. And now you're adding another body, another asset to your group. And, and that would be a strategy that I would uh, be very seriously considering. Denton Matejchuk at the top of uh, at the top of your wish list, and a trade down makes a ton of sense. Thank you for backing me up, Jason Bukla. <laughs> these are these are these are my wow. favorite hobby horses on the radio. We actually agree, bud. Uh, well, listen. When I see you in Montreal, you'll have to make it up. To me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have to. You might have to go back and reevaluate your takes now. That now that you know Drancer agrees with you that much, <laughs> my, uh, my, 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 might have to be me picking up the tab now that Tabor's unlikely to be around. Hey, eh, Books. Thanks so much, bud. Okay, awesome talking to you guys. Thanks, for having me. <laughs> Thanks Jason. That is uh, Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers, and now Sportsnet.ca contributor. And yeah, I encourage you everyone. You heard it here. There you Denton go. Denton Matejchuk, everybody. The trade down thing. <laughs> I yeah, it's I, a no brainer. Um, it's a no brainer. You got to do it if there's a team that likes yes. a guy at the top of that sort of tier of guys. Like if someone wants a Nazar or a Matejchuk, and you're low on those guys, um, you know, moving back three or four picks. You know, I think if you're moving back as much as 10 history indicates that you should get a higher second than 56, but you know, that type of move makes uh, loads of sense, particularly yeah. if some of Vancouver's top targets are likely to be available in the 20s. Well, and I also wonder if uh, a guy like Matejchuk might end up going before 15, even it just, I, I just always think, you know, puck moving defenseman with that kind of skill. I, I, I would bet on it right now. Maybe not a guarantee, but I, that, that's, Another factor I just, for me. I think Korchinski's the riser. And yeah. so Matejchuk for me is is sort of the guy to watch for. And look, in a world where Matejchuk and Korchinski both go earlier than we expect, that means there's likely uh, another guy dropping that may be of significant that may be interest, right? Yeah. So uh, worth, sort of, worth sort of waiting and seeing. But I do think Matejchuk's the guy for me. I, I don't believe that he's the guy for the Canucks, but he's the guy for me. And if, if there, it's not him... Then, then trade back, trade back, because you're likely to get one of the guys you like a lot more, uh, whether it's a Chesley, whether it's a Ogren, yes, <laughs> whether it's one of those dudes. The two Swedish guys was Ogren and uh, Ostland. Ostland, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's an uh sound, Ostland, yes, Ogren. 
Anyway, tra- trade back for one of those two is is high on my um, inter- interested Your draft list. wish list. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think Books's thoughts on the draft dead on. Go check out his his game plan for the Canucks. We'll we'll obviously be doing some of our own game planning stuff in the weeks ahead. But today's Kuzmenko Day. Oh yeah, Canucks whining and dining a top Russian UFA. We'll see if they can pull him out of the fire and add to their forward group. Uh, more Kuzmenko talk, more Stanley Cup final talk coming up with, on the People's Show with Bick Nazar and Randy Janda. No show for us tomorrow because uh, the Canadians are playing a nooner at the Nat, but we will be back on Monday, uh, back on the airwaves. Enjoy your weekend. The People's Show is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.